Father and our God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Hebrews. Thank you for all we've learned so far. The supremacy of Christ over Moses, over angels. Thank you for what we started to look at last week as you being our faithful high priest. Thank you for all that was said to study in your word today. Lord, I pray that the eyes of our understanding is enlightened. I pray that we're able to come to terms with the truth contained in the chapters or in the texts that we study today. And I pray even most of all that beyond just an intellectual understanding, we're able to apply these truths to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, and amen. Good day, everyone, both everyone that's here and everyone that's listening to, that will listen to this when it's uploaded. So today we're picking up from right where we stopped, Hebrews 4.14, actually. Um, And just by way of recap, just by way of recap, what did we look at last week? We looked at Hebrews 3 and and Hebrews 4. Hebrews 3, we talked about, uh, we started by looking at how Jesus was greater than Moses. And if you remember the table I told you to plot, right? That separate table that is going to last us this entire book, where I said it's person, um, um, reason, I guess, and then implication. So we talked about angels for the reason for that his son, he created the world and all of that. And we've seen the implication of him being greater than the angels. Now we looked at Moses last week and we talked about how, oh, Moses was a servant in the house, but Jesus is son. And by by extension, he's heir over the entire house. Um, and so the implication of that is that his ministry is greater than that of Moses. And then we started to look at the idea of rest, the idea of rest and how um David, 500 years after the whole wilderness experience in Psalm 90, Psalm 95 from verse 7 to 11, starts to talk about the idea of, oh, today, if you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your heart or don't fall, in, don't fall into unbelief. To refer to the fact that those in the wilderness did, and as a result, they couldn't enter the rest of God. But for David to be making that same appeal 500 years later, it shows that the rest of God still exists. Even though Joshua did lead people into the promised land, the rest of God that the people who fell in the wilderness could not partake of still exists. And so the writer of Hebrews goes on to talk about how the rest cannot then be physical. It's it's more than just Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey. It says even more so that in Genesis, or first of all, we know that the works of God were finished and from Genesis God entered into rest so what the writer of Hebrews started to do was trace the idea of rest through scripture we see it in the in the rest of God on the seventh day we see it by extension on the Sabbath which was to recall that event we see it in the idea of the promised land and then 500 years later David still says guys that you are listening to me in this psalm today do not harden your voice and then the writer of Hebrews calls and references it for people today so today therefore is any window of opportunity where a man can still respond to the proclamation of the gospel's message and so by implication the rest of god right will be something we come into when we place faith in 
the gospel. That's why in Hebrews 4 verse 3, it says, We who have believed do enter that rest. And then he appeals to everyone listening or everyone reading. Most likely they're not reading. Everyone that this epistle will be read to, right, to, to hold fast, to be diligent, to enter that rest, which we looked at last week, right, to place faith in or to respond to the message of the gospel and to hold fast in spite of persecution. So that's just a summary of all that we did or we discussed in Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 4. And today we're starting or we're continuing from Hebrews 4 and we're going to go into Hebrews 5 and into Hebrews 6, the dreaded Hebrews 6. And um, what will happen today or what I what I believe God for today is that much more at the end of today's teaching, you would appreciate that fact that indeed God does give gifts to the body. And the reason I'm starting like this, I remember when I was preparing my notes last night, and I'm like, God, how far? You know, I don't, I don't like all this, all those things. But anyways, uh, <laughs> I feel it's necessary to say this. I, as the role of a teacher, my job is to teach, right? And if, um, or as the role, the role of a teacher is to teach, right? And if there are indeed gifts that God gives to the body. One of the things we discussed when we talked about Ephesians 4 and ministry gifts is the idea that because they are gifts of God, kind of like tongues, right? When you're making a defense for tongues, one of the first things we realize is that there's nothing God gives to the believer that isn't necessary or that the lack of it won't affect you in a way. So, for instance, when people ask that, am I still a Christian even if I don't speak in tongues? The answer is yes. But then the follow-up and the follow-up question is that much more than that, if God gave you tongues, then there's a reason. And the failure or the the lack of it, if we can't find it in your life, then there's something you are missing out of because God is not God is there's nothing God gave us or God deposited in us in the spirit that isn't necessary. So, for instance, in Ephesians 1 verse 3, when we read, where we started and we said he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. And he goes on to list many of those blessings, right? Every single one of them is necessary. It's not that you say, ah, I just dash you. Just have fun. Enjoy yourself. Whether you finish it, you don't finish it. No. Everything God has given us in the spirit of Christ um, is necessary. Everything God has given us in the church. So, it's the same thing as people say, oh, um... If I believe the gospel, do I have to attend a local church? And you're like, why are you asking such a question? You are saying it as though it's a demand on you. No, it's a gift to you. Yes, you'll be saved, but your Christian journey will be much harder if you are not identified with a preferably physical community of believers to keep you accountable and to keep you growing. Right? So it's not about, do I have to speak in tongues? Do I have to um, belong to... No, it's, these are gifts that God has given you for your christian work on earth and if you will take advantage of them your life or your christian experience will be better the same thing with the gifts the apostles prophets teachers that god gave the church for the equipping of the saints and what you'd realize is that they supply things that the body needs and their efforts will save you painful labors on your own right it's the same way you can choose to um, read a textbook a physics textbook beginning to end but if you can just meet a good teacher, a lot of things, a lot of hours you would spend laboring over many things 
will be clearer in way less time. And amongst many other things, that's the reason God gave gifts to the body. Why am I saying all this? Anyone who knows me remotely knows I hate to talk about myself. I would rather just do the work. I'm like, God, I'll say, um, I don't want anyone to give me more credit than they can see in my life and my work. But like I said, I was preparing my notes and God asked me to. So I will say it both for everyone here and for everyone listening to the podcast. And I say this with all humility, but with also a great sense of realization that I know God has given me a strong teaching grace. And I tell you, not seen anything yet. Whether it's journey to the epistles or journey to the gospels, journey to the Bible, I don't know. But there's still way more to come. And I'm saying that because it's a very sincere, yeah, I count it a huge privilege whenever, right from years ago, and I'm studying scriptures and it just seems to open up. And much more than that, it becomes even easier teaching people. And at those moments, I just, Spirit of God always reminds me that it's not just for myself. It's for everyone who would also benefit of this teaching ministry. And I'm saying that so that you realize or that you are able to to um, realize that this is God's gift to you. It would equip you and it is something you need. Amen. Amen. And amen. I've done what God asked me to do. Let's go into the word of God, shall we? All right. Hebrews 4.14. <laughs> Turn your Bibles um, to Hebrews 4.14. Get your notepads out. Um, let's let's go into the word of God. Now I'm comfortable. Now I can do what I can. I can flow from here. Anyways. <laughs> so I said last week that left for me i still don't know who usually does chapter and verses for the bible because there are sometimes i'm like you clearly cut a chapter in the middle of a context and you went to go and you started the next chapter as though he was talking about something else and i've told you guys many times whenever you read your bible be very conscious of the fact that you don't subconsciously in your mind think that when you get to chapter five for instance the context has switched or the author is talking about something else. No, you follow the train of thought in the text. Ideally, if this was a modern um, letter, it would be written in paragraphs. But even us that were writing, uh, when we used to write why, we don't know how to paragraph word. That's why we lose marks. But um, the point is, you trace based on the flow of thought. Don't always think, oh, verse 1 will say something different from verse 2. Verse 3. That's why sometimes when I'm reading, you'll notice I would read a few verses because it's still one block of thoughts. So have that in your mind. You are reading a letter that was reading that was meant to be read to people, right? And as a result, the writer was not writing chapters and verses. He was writing sentences. He was writing um, words and sentences and, and blocks of thoughts. So the best way to follow through is to pay attention to those blocks of thoughts. That's why if you are doing Bible study, it should not just be, oh, I'll read um, just 10 verses today, I'll read 11. If you, you could do that, as long as you keep in mind all that you are reading. But if you somehow think that, oh, if I've read 10 verses, the next 10 verses will be something, no, then you are going to miss a lot. And we're going to see that today when we get to Hebrews 5 and 6. You would, By the time we see the role of context, you yourself will know that Hebrews 5 and 6 should have been one chapter, at least. Hebrews 5 to like half of it, from Hebrews 4.14 to like Hebrews 6, um, I can't remember the verse. It's literally one 
flow of thoughts and we're going to see that we're going to see that but let's start um from verse 14 i'm reading from the nkjv once again it says seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens jesus the son of god let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness but was at, at all points tempted as we are yet without sin and we've looked at this before in hebrews 2 verse 18 right that because he has suffered he is able to identify with people that are also suffering so the idea there is that yes jesus has ascended to the right hand of the father but not only that, because he was tempted, because he suffered even to the point of death, we trust that as a high priest, he can sympathize or he can relate with our weaknesses. We're going to see why that is important in the next few verses. Again, that is why you should not be, um, you should not be, you shouldn't break it down as much, right? He can relate when as believers, for instance, these are believers that are, they are being persecuted. There's a lot of pressure for them to reject the faith and go back to Judaism. And the writer of Hebrews is consoling them that you have a high priest who knows how it feels. You have a high priest who knows the limitations of your body. You have a high priest who knows what it feels to be persecuted, what it feels to be tempted, what it feels to be drawn away. Right? He says that, but he did it without sin. And that is our encouragement. And that's why I said, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need and i explained last week that 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 would be referring to whatever category the audience is for those who haven't um entered into rest it will it will push them on to 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 running before god and saying yes indeed i believe for those who already have believed right it would, it, would, it would push them in times of, of temptation, in times of trials to run once again to say, oh, I need grace. The same way God or Jesus went through it. Remember, he's captain. He's the pattern that there would be grace to also go through the same thing. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? All right. All right. So let's, let's go on. Hebrews 5 verse 1. It says, for every high priest... When a, verse, when a chapter starts with four, you should know that. No, that's not the start. It says, For every high priest is taken from amongst men. Sorry. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. So what he's saying now, he's trying to describe the role of a high priest. And here is why. I want you to think like a Jew. If I come and I start to tell you Jesus is high priest, you should start to ask that, uh, if he is high priest, how is that possible? Because as we're going to read now, the high priests are those who are from the tribe of Levi, more specifically Aaron, the high priest especially. Jesus is not from Aaron's lineage. How is he a high priest? Of course, the high priest, like I said, is taken from amongst men, meaning he's a man representing men to God. And so that means you're saying Jesus has to be a man, which, of course, the writer of Hebrews is saying he's both God and man. But not only that, it says he offers both gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is subject to weaknesses. Because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself. 
to offer sacrifices for sins. Let me read verse 4 and then I'll put everything together. It says, And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So from verse 1 to verse 4, the writer of Hebrews summarizes the role of a high priest. Number one, right, he is a man. He is a man representing men. Important. Number representing men to God. Number two, he offers gifts and sacrifices. And we're going to look at this when we look at the priesthood of Christ. So you read the book of Leviticus. I remember the first time I read it then when I was much younger. And I'm like, when we wanted to do Bible in a year, you read Genesis, you're like, I enjoy all these stories. Hey, you read Exodus. Okay, okay. Templates, journey through the wilderness. As soon as you get to Leviticus, your Bible in the years is destroyed. From there, usually I'll skip Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I'll go to Joshua. Let the story resume. Even when Joshua starts doing all his numbers, I skip it. I'll go to Judges. Hey, Samson. Hey, everybody's happy again. <laughs> and all those people, right? And then you could move on to 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings. As soon as you get to Chronicles, if you, if you even manage to get to Chronicles, maybe that time is like sometime in April. Then that's the end. No more Bible for the <laughs> no more Bible for the year. You try again January next year, New Year's resolution. At least that's how it was for me through secondary school. But Leviticus is important because, like, like um, like we're going to learn, that is a lot of, a lot of things that the the sacrificial system and we're going to see reference to a lot, both today and next week, are picked directly from the understanding of the sacrificial system described in the book of Leviticus, and we. The writer of Hebrews knows and expects the readers he's writing to to understand it. In fact, to know it for the most part, whether by reference or not, they understand the law, they understand the sacrifice, they understand all, or they know it, right? So you see in Leviticus, what were the sacrifices? There was the burnt offering, there was the sin offering, there was the guilt offering, there was the peace offering, there was the grain offering. We're going to look at each of them and see where Christ fits into it. You'll be amazed when we get there. I'm not going to do most of that today because we've not gotten to the teaching on priesthood per se. But you would see, for instance, the burnt offering where you offer an animal as devotion to God. Already you can start to see Romans 12 come into the picture. Or the sin offering, which we know Jesus has become our sin offering and our guilt offering. Or for instance, a grain offering, which is an offering of thanksgiving. And then Hebrews 13 says, um, let me not get ahead of myself, but we offer thanksgiving to God through Christ. So what we see in all the, all the offerings in the Old Testament is that there is a greater fulfillment even in the believer today. And that's why Philippians will let us know that we are the ones who worship God in spirit and in truth. Because the idea of worship is actually sacrifice, at least for the Jew. Right? When you say, let's go worship God on this mountain, you bring a sacrifice. And so now that Jesus or Paul lets us know that we are the ones who truly worship God in the spirit. What he's saying is that by the spirit of God, we've been equipped to offer sacrifices that are true. That's what he means. That's the whole, we worship God in spirit and truth. That by the spirit of God, we are able now to offer the true sacrifice. And what true simply means is that what was in the old was a shadow. But what it pointed to is what we now do by the Spirit. Whether it's in devoting our lives in service to God, like Romans 12 talks about, as a true burnt offering, in quotes, or in giving thanks 
in as a grain of your thanksgiving right or even in the offering for sin that has been performed in jesus that we have received by the spirit of god whichever one we are the ones who truly worship god as enabled by the spirit of god does that make sense i'm not teaching on that yet but i just wanted to just in case you have any questions so that it won't fester in your mind but does that make sense thumbs up if that's clear let me see responses that's what it means to worship in spirit and in truth thumbs up should I say it again? Thumbs up. I'm not seeing any response. All right. All right. All right. Okay. Only one. It's not clear. Let me know. Let me know. I'll, I can go over. Okay. Again. I said, um, I took a deviation. I said that the role of a high priest amongst, like the role of high priest primarily is to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. I said, if you look at the Old Testament, what were those sacrifices for sin? We see the burnt offering. We see the sin offering. We see the guilt offering. We see the peace offering. We see the grain offering or, or the thanksgiving offering, right? And I said that you come into the New Testament or you come into the New Covenant. The New Covenant is what? In the resurrection, right? Not Matthew. No, I mean when Jesus rose from the dead and men received the Spirit of God. That's the start of the New Covenant. And I said that what you see is that we don't do any of this. Do you go to anywhere to go and kill Ram and say, oh, it's burnt offering to symbolize my devotion to God? Or do you get a new job and you go and kill Ram and say, God, um, or your, your business blows? And then you go and kill, say, God accepts my grain offering. Or do you still offer sin offerings? Do you still offer guilt offerings? No. And I'm saying that is exactly what Jesus meant when he was talking to the woman at the well in John 5, where it says that, um, yes, the Jews worship on this temple, sorry, in the temple, rather, offering sacrifice. And I told you, whenever you see worship, usually, especially in a Jewish context, it means to offer sacrifices, right? So the Jews would worship in Jerusalem. The, the Samaritans would worship God on the mountain, um, on, on a mountain and all of that. And Jesus said... A time is coming. But the Lord is looking for those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. And that time is coming. We fast forward to Philippians and Paul lets us know that we are the ones that worship God in spirit and in truth. And I was trying to unpack what that meant. And I said it simply means that as enabled by the spirit, we are able to offer true worship. And whenever you see, like when I said true worship, what does it mean? It simply means that what was offered in the old was a type or what, what Hebrews will later call a shadow of the real thing. So I'm saying that, that whatever they did, yes, for the time being, God accepted it. But I'm saying that it pointed to a true worship that will be enabled by the Spirit. And what that means is that, first of all, because we have received the Spirit of God, we can now offer our lives in devotion. You don't have to go and cut around and say, God, I'm devoted to you. You offer your lives by the Spirit. That's what Paul says in Romans 12.1. In view of the message of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and um, acceptable unto God, for this is your reasonable worship. This is your reasonable worship. So by the Spirit of God, we can offer ourselves. In fact, in Hebrews 13, maybe we'll go there, where it says that... Um, Let's, let's, let's go there. I didn't plan to. Let me get the verse. Yes. Hebrews 13, 15. It says, therefore, let us by him. Do you see that? By Jesus continually offer what? The sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips 
giving thanks to his name. So as believers, through Christ, we can offer sacrifices of thanks. Through the Spirit of God, we can offer sacrifices of thanks. Through the Spirit of God, we identify with the sin offering. So whenever we sin, we don't kill a lamb. By the Spirit of God, we identify with the sacrifice that was done once and for all. All I'm pretty much saying, and I'm still going to unpack this more, is that every sacrificial system in the Old Covenant has found a new meaning in Christ. That in the Old was simply a shadow. In Christ, we have true worship. We have true sacrifice. And those who identify with with, with what Jesus has done by the Spirit of God are those who are able to offer true worship. Does it make sense? Let me see responses. All right, all right, good, good. Okay, awesome, awesome, awesome. Don't worry. Once we get to proper Jesus Melchizedek, we'll look at it much more. But that's what I'm. That's what I'm trying to say. That was a deviation, actually. Um, so from verse from Hebrews five, from verse one to four, the things that the writer of Hebrews wants you to know about the role of a priest is that number one, he's chosen from men to represent men to God. Number two, he offers sacrifices and gifts for sins. Numbers, sacrifice for sins and gifts, rather. Number three, he is able to identify with the weaknesses of those he's interceding for. So it's not just like someone that, ah, I don't know why these people are always sinning, but God, just forgive them. No, he is able to relate. And even in the old, he had to offer sin sacrifices for both himself and the people he was interceding for. Of course, not so with Jesus. We're going to see the contrast, but he's just letting you know the role of a high priest. He must, so number one, man amongst men. Number two, gifts and sacrifice for sins. Number three, he must be able to identify or have compassion on those he's interceding for. And number four, in verse four, he was not chosen. He didn't choose himself. Right? He says, no man takes this honor to himself. Rather, he is called by God. So the role of the high priest is something that God confers on someone. It's not something that... I feel like I should be a high priest. I have I've examined my personality types and my strengths and my weaknesses. And I think my career is to be a high priest. No. It says no man takes this honor to himself. It's those who are called by God. And I told you that God chose who Aaron and then the lineage. And from then on, we see that, right? So now we've, we've, we've introduced a new character into our table. So get your table out wherever your table is hidden. And write out character three. So number one was angels. Number two was Moses. Now we have a new character. You could just put Aaron's high priesthood or the high priest of Aaron or however you want to put it. Or you could put high priest in brackets Aaron. So that's the priesthood that's according to the lineage of Levi and Aaron. So that's the new character we have. So by description, like I'll take it again because it's important. And the reason it's important is that you're going to see all of this fulfilled in Christ. Number one, from men amongst men. Number two, gifts and sacrifices for sins. Number three, um, he must be able to identify with the people. And number four, he must be called by God to that position. Those are the four criteria or the four descriptions of a high priest in these verses. And what the writer of Hebrews is pretty much doing is to let you know that in each of these four categories, Jesus qualifies. Jesus qualifies. So number one, 
he is a man or he became a man. Number two, he did offer, in fact, the ultimate sacrifice for sins. We're going to see that much more in, in, in Hebrews 8, 9, and 10. We'll get there. But he did offer the ultimate sacrifice for sins. Number three, and that's why he has been he has been hammering it up to this point, even in verse chapter 4 that we just read, which is why I said you should see where the, the thought starts. He is able to identify with the people he's interceding for because he also has suffered and has been tempted. And number four, he did not take it onto himself. He was called by God to that office. So just like the priesthood of Aaron, we see that even Jesus' priesthood, by just those four criteria already, he qualifies. But he doesn't just qualify. Remember I told you the whole point of, of Hebrews, if I should summarize it in one sentence, is Christ is better. He's going to show you that not only does he qualify, but his priesthood or his high priesthood is even better better and we're going to see that we're going to see that but let's go on verse 5 it says so also christ did not glorify himself to become high priest do you see that it says but as it was it was he who said to him you are my son today i have begotten you remember we've, we've looked at this um several times Psalm, psalms 2 verse 7 and then he goes on he says and he says in another place you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. That's Psalm 110, verse 4. So even in the Old Testament, we have proof. We have reason. Remember from the beginning of Judges to the Epistles, one of the first things I told you is that remember that when people are, the audience this, that the, the apostles write to, usually all they have, is the old testament in fact everything we read in the new testament was born out of the biblical interpretation of the old testament and so don't see the other that ah this one has passed no the new testament is, is where it's at yes the new testament is an explanation but it's an explanation of what of all that god has promised to do right from the old and we're going to see that we're going to see that but just bear that in your mind that many of in fact everything we've taught so far we see it in the Old Testament. It's not some new revelation. It is These are teachings that have been established in the Old. The idea of rest. The idea of, um, of, of um, Jesus being son and ruler of all. The idea of now, even the priesthood that Jesus was to come and establish. Even the idea of sacrifices not being able to take away sins. Even David was able to say that, you don't want sacrifice. If not, I would have offered. He said, what you want is a broken and a contrite heart. Since Isaiah, Solomon, they said it, that God, you don't dwell in temples made with human hands. So even the idea of that God is not living physically in a building, even in the Ark of Covenant, they knew. They knew. Right? And we'll even still go on to quote even many more um, script old testament passages to show that yes there was someone to whom god prepared a body that he would dwell and by extension he would dwell in all those that would belong to him we'll, we'll see all of that we're going to see all of that but just remember don't in don't read the old testament as some book that has passed away no because even in the old testament was where we found the teachings of the early church they were just explained in those letters so it's kind of like oh if you don't want to go through the stress of unpacking verse after verse, tracing Christ in Adam, tracing Christ all the way to David, 
you can just read the commentaries in the new testament but eventually every bible student would eventually still go back there because it's beautiful to read and then you see how god caused his plan to unfold in those texts it's amazing and that is what these people do paul peter the writer of hebrews these are people that have spent time in the scriptures because that's all they had so for them bible study was genesis to malachi Think about that. That was Bible study. So all they did is they spent time there. And in doing so, they were able to see what God has always ordained in his son Jesus at the end of the, of the ages. And they are just explaining. Remember the mystery, the Paul's mystery, that both Jews and Gentiles would be saved. This is not something that I told you that the idea of a mystery is something that was hidden or silent. It's not that it wasn't there, but it wasn't as pronounced. You would have to search to see it. You have to search that he was covered. And Paul now says that anyone who reads may see my understanding of the mysteries of God. What did he go on to write? He just unpacked the Old Testament. That's all he did. That's all he did. That's all he did. Amen. So at the end of the day, what we're doing now, even through Hebrews, for especially um, to the Jewish audience he's writing to, is unpacking how even through the very same scriptures, we can see Jesus as better better than angels better than moses better than priesthood of Aaron, better sacrifice a better promise amen amen and amen all right so where am i <laughs> verse six so it says you are a priest forever according to Melchizedek." so even in psalms there was a priest that god said would last his priesthood would last for how long forever according to melchizedek would unpack that when the writer of Hebrews does. He does that in a few chapters. So I won't spend so much time yet. In verse 7, it says, Who in the days of his flesh, do you see that? So he was a man. In the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. So of course, this is talking about, for instance, Jesus in the garden in Matthew 26, verse 39. Matthew 26, verse 39. And you see Jesus saying, God, if it's possible, let this cup pass over me. And then he prays three times and he's like, nevertheless, not your will. Um, sorry, it is possible, let this cup pass over me. Nevertheless, not, not my will, but yours be done. And I love the end. I highlighted it in my Bible um, in Hebrews 5, where it says, vehement cries and tears because it just shows that even jesus was able to put his emotions into prayer you know today we talk about oh pray with all that you are and prayer should demand your fervency prayer should demand your your mind your emotions your consciousness everything about you should be invested in what you're doing you are talking to god here we see jesus the very image of the living god the very incarnation of god when he was praying he said with vehement cries and tears so it was like god you know it is done <laughs> no he put himself into it he put himself into it in matthew he says that he he was praying so much that his blood capillaries because of the stress he was under he started to bleed he started to bleed just to show you the the of course he was at the point of death you can say oh i'm not at the point of death yet and that's valid but the point is put your all into your acts of devotion if you're praying 
put your all into it. If you're worshiping, if you're singing songs, put your all into it. In living for God on a day-to-day basis, put your all into it. Nowhere in our faith suggests a passive, apathetic, eh, I'm just doing no. It says, if you are, if you see, it says in Romans, love each other fervently. It says, be fervent, be fervent. All the instructions, pray, all the instructions of devotion, whether it's to in conduct, love for one another, ministry, fervency, devotion, prayer. There's always an, an encouragement to put your all, to put your all. Spiritual gift, endlessly desire. Everything is just, oh God, <laughs> just keep doing it, just to the max. Is it in the charismatic ministry? Give your all. Is it in devotion? Give your all. Is it in prayer? Give your all. Is it in ministry? Give your all. Is it in loving people? Love them with all that you have. Is it in in um in being living for Christ on a day to day basis? Whether it's at work, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's, it's with friends, give your all. Give your all. That is the attitude of a believer. He's fervent. Talos <laughs> He's fervent. He's fervent. Is fervent. <laughs> All right. So it says, with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was hurt because of his godly fear. Now, if you are just reading, you might ignore what the writer of Hebrews just says. If he was hurt, think about that. Jesus said, "If it is possible, let this cup pass over me." That was his prayer. Although, yes, he now he went on to say, "Nevertheless." And, uh, and this teaches us, I'm deviating to Matthew now, but I think it's important to just talk a bit about prayer. That even in the place of prayer, yes, you might have desires, but what prayer should do in you is that it should make you more and more aware of what God wants to do. But not only that, producing you a strength to say, God, let us do it your way. Even if this is how I would rather do it, even if I want to be the convenience. So sometimes we think that as Christians, it's 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 um, you start to like we think it's strange if let's say oh you want to take a better paying job, even though yes you know it might cost you your time. Now like I'm starting to feel bad. Am I not a true Christian? No, Jesus said if it's possible, let let there be a way to save the world without me having to die. Right? He's he owned and he said it in prayer. It's not even a passing thought. He said it in prayer. So yes, you can say that, oh God, at this moment, I really don't want to read my Bible. Or oh God, the way the way it's going, I I I re- I feel like I would rather not do this. God, I feel like I would rather. He says, but don't if don't stop there. What did Jesus go on? He says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Not my will, but yours. God. Like we've seen in Jesus, he's able to act, to identify, he's able to sympathize. He's able to sympathize with the weaknesses. So yes, um, there are Jews here who they, their mom has been killed because she, she was a Christian. And now they're like, God, I don't know if this Christianity thing is worth it. Tell it to God. Jesus is able to relate. He's not going to say, can you imagine? After you've been bought, after all I went through, how can you be talking like this? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, just is not like our Yoruba mothers and fathers. <laughs> he says he can relate, but he doesn't stop there. He gives us grace to go on. So just the same way he says, "Oh, um, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done." And he went on to do the Father's will. 
it's the same way we as believers can say but nevertheless god not my will but yours and god does strengthen us to a believer who is able to acknowledge his limitations but much more acknowledge the will of god in spite of his own preferences and go ahead god always always gives strength god always gives strength sometimes we think christians are like suicidal maniacs that, ah i just want to die for jesus i don't want to even jesus did not want to die <laughs> so don't come and bomb and uh, i'm the i'm the martyr from heaven even jesus did not want to die it's it's okay to say that i would rather live a comfortable life till i'm 70 and then go and be with god but if god says get up go to God, I really don't want to do this. <laughs> but nevertheless, not my will, but yours. And God always gives strength. And it's amazing because it says he was hurt. He says as long as it's not Korea, it's not Korea. You're not serious. <laughs> you want to come and be doing King Jong un No, that's even North Korea. I don't know. It's you that will tell me what they say. Um, but no, you won't go to South Korea. It's North Korea you go to. <laughs> but he says he was hurt. He was hurt. And it was heard, meaning that, yes, God heard that you rather not do this, that if it's possible, let's go. But God said, it's not possible. You have to die. <laughs> For this reason, you came. And so it gives you a new perspective on prayer in the sense that sometimes we think the goal of prayer is that, um, oh, you you want this and then you get this. That is pray- That is That is answered prayers. No. From what we see here, sometimes you want this, but God gives you the grace to go to the very place of want. That is also answers to prayer. That is also God hearing your prayers. So it's not always um, a yes or no. God does it, and so my answer was my my prayer was answered. God didn't do it, and so my prayer wasn't known. The same way, just like Jesus, this could be what you want going into the place of prayer. But what God gives you upon hearing your request is strength persevere amen amen and amen i mean we see that even in paul it says three times i pray god this persecution is too much this thorn in the flesh is too much take it away he says what what did he what was the answer he says my strength is made perfect in weakness he says and so as a result i have learned to glory in my suffering because when i am weak i'm strong do you see do you see that kind of mindset that is how we as believers should also go into the place of prayer. That not my will, but yours be done. Amen. Amen. I have deviated twice into this teaching. <laughs> but it's necessary. It's ne- hope, hope it makes sense. Thumbs up if that makes sense on prayer. Let me see your responses. Good, good, good. Good. All right. So, um, where am I? Verse 8. It says, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. I'll get to verse 9. But verse 8, it says he was a son. He learned obedience by the things. And you now read, ah, is it that he didn't know obedience before? And then when he suffered, he now, um, he now, he now learned. No. In verse 9, when he says, having been 
perfected. It's a word that we've used many times already. It's the word teleo in the Greek. T-E-L-I-O-O. T-E-L-E-I-O-O. It simply means complete. To be to be accomplished, something to bring something to its completion, right? Or some 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 other instances, you see the idea of maturity. So what it's saying is that because Jesus suffered, he proved to be obedient. So it's one thing, for instance, to say, of course, Jesus is obedient. Jesus, um, Jesus was an obedient son, whether or not he went to the cross or not. But because he now actually did, we can know that indeed he he proved it. Do you get? It's kind of like um, um, faith and works in James, in James 1, where it says that through works, Abraham proved that he had faith. So his works were not a, a requirement for faith. They were proof of his faith. So... He had already believed chapters ago. God had counted him righteous because he believed. But then we still see after he went to offer Isaac on the mountain, he says, now I know, right, that you 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 truly believe and you will not withhold anything, including your own son. Do you see that? So there's a sense in which God does know all things. There's a sense in which Jesus, as the son of God, was an obedient son. In fact, just taking on flesh alone, that's already humiliating enough. But when he says he learned obedience, not that it wasn't there and then after he suffered, he now acquired the ministry of obedience. It's that he proved to be obedient. He proved to be obedient. When he says the things he suffered, he talks about his death, right? He proved to be obedient. Not only that, he it made him the perfect high priest, meaning he was complete. So the reason we can say that Jesus can relate, the reason he can say in verse 2, Hebrews 5 verse 2, that he can have compassion on those who are going astray is because he learned it when he suffered. He learned it when he suffered. So that's why even in Philippians 2, Philippians 2 verse 8, it says, And having been found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So Jesus taking on his flesh and dying for humanity was 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 a was a journey of obedience and through which we can now look to him as the perfect high priest. Remember I said the idea of perfect, he's complete, lacking nothing. So even in the area of compassion, he's perfect because he has suffered. So he can relate. He can relate. Thumbs up if that makes sense. Thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up. All right, good, good, good. I'm going to be asking for a lot of thumbs up because there are a lot of very dense passages we're going to explore. But yes, so when it's so that is how he learned obedience by actually suffering, right? And let me deviate again on suffering. A lot of times, just like prayer, people think suffering is per se a bad thing. Now we know from scripture that God doesn't send suffering to the believers. God is not some maniacal tyrant. I say you will suffer until no. Right. Um, what happens is that because of the evil in the world, because of the evil in the world, and I'll probably talk more on this when we get to James, because of the evil in the world, 
those who choose the side of God will face opposition because we have a devil. We have people yielded to him. Remember he said, the Bible calls him the God of this world. He says is the prince of the path of the air at work in those who do not believe. Right? Because there is a devil and there are people who are yielded to his influences, all those who choose to live for God will suffer persecution. That's Paul, literally right all those who choose to live for god will face some form of resistance to their faith even in the suffering of christ god did not need to put in judas an evil heart some people still think that's what happened no god was not the one that pushed judas to betray god was not the one that pushed um the pharisees to hate jesus no they did it out of the evil of their heart out of the yes out of the influences of the devil but they yielded to the influences of the devil they chose to stand against God and his plan. All God did was he handed over his son to the evil that was already in the world. So don't think that, oh, God God was the one that somehow made, um, how do I put this? He was the one that put it in the hearts of people to kill his son. No. And it's the same thing with believers today. So for instance, with the sufferings of Paul in 2 Corinthians, where he said it, that if this is possible, um, take this thorn in the flesh away. God was not the one sending it. In fact, the very idea is a messenger from Satan. <laughs> right? It's not from God. And when we get there, we'll see it's talking about persecution. The idea is that, yes, the, Paul was going through immense pain. It wasn't from God. It, was, it wasn't from God. But yes, just like Jesus, God, in quotes, allowed Paul to go through that experience, but not on his own. He strengthened him through it. And the, you'd ask yourself, why does God allow his believers to suffer? In one area, God would take Paul and Silas out of, of jail. In another area, Paul is beheaded. Why isn't God delivering Christians that are being persecuted every single time? Let's go to James 1 2. James 1 2. James 1 2. Why does God allow suffering? for believers. James 1, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. They're like, ah, brother James, what are you talking about? You know, you're saying, it says, why? So, usually, whenever, <laughs> I'm I'm laughing because if I'm about, if I start this, I'm like, we're not going to go into Hebrews 6. <laughs> but, anyways, Many times when instructions are given, there's also a reason. Go to just say, do this because I want you to know. There's usually a reason for it. Even when it comes to joy, whenever we're told to rejoice in scripture, it's always as a response to knowledge. It's always as a response to knowledge. So for instance, in 1 Peter, where it says, whom having not seen you love, and you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory we are able to rejoice because there is a hope that is ahead of us you know that just rejoice just no there is something that causes us to rejoice in james 1 2 it says count it all joy when you fall into various trials why in verse 3 it says knowing so there's something that you know that makes it possible to rejoice in suffering you get that there's something that the believer should know that will make it possible to see verse 2 and not say, what is wrong with James? Is he, is, is, it, is it maso? What's that word where you delight in pain? I think masochistic or something like that. I can't remember. Uh, but yes, 
count it all joy when you fall into various trials. That the testing of our faith produces patience. So the reason we can rejoice, the reason you see in Acts 4, I believe, Peter and John rejoicing, counting it, um, counting it a thing of joy that they were worthy to be to be beaten for the name of Christ, is because why they knew, they knew that what the testing of our faith produces patience. It says, let patience have its perfect work is that same thing tell you it's complete work that you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing that you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing the word patience there is also the same word for cheerful endurance or constancy that in that the more you are able to 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 stand in spite of suffering it makes you a stronger christian it works patience you it builds up your endurance it causes you to rejoice while you wait for the hope that is to come and he says that let that patience let him have his work so don't run he's literally telling them don't run away from it that when you're suffering for for your faith first of all count it all joy but not only that let it do you mean in the greek or do you mean in this context um you could type it in the chats I'm, I'm not sure what you mean by what does it mean okay yes okay okay i'll get to that so it's saying first of all it's saying that not only should you count it all joy you are counting all joy because you know that it is built is producing patience in you but not only that, it says let it have let it that work that patience is supposed to do let it do its work and what does he mean by that it means that based on your perception or your perspective to suffering you can miss out on the good that it should produce in you. So for some, all you do is complain that God, how far now? Is, is, it, is it by force I should suffer? All of that. And as a result, you would it won't produce patience. It won't have its work. But if you are able to view it the right way, that this is making me better. This is making me better. With the right perspective, it will have its perfect work. It says that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Lacking nothing here refers to the endurance, right? You, in, as far as your, your, your ability to hold on or to persevere or to endure or to stay constant, there is nothing lacking. That's what it means. So when it says, let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. He's saying the same thing. So if you allow, if, through the context if through the lenses of god's word or through the spirit of god just like paul you get to the point where you realize that um um this is not something that's probably going away right um you are able to view it in the sense that god is strengthening me the strength of jesus is is glorified much more in my weakness and it says that what let it that let that patience let it have its complete work so that it will make you complete. Complete in what sense? That as far as, remember I told you the idea of perfect and complete, teleos, it means lacking nothing or it has been brought to its completion or it is mature. So that basically he's saying that if you allow patience to have its perfect work, you would be mature. You would, you would um, as far as the ability to endure and hold fast, you are complete. That's what it means. And then in verse 5, it now says, If any of you lack wisdom, 
what will it mean to lack wisdom in this context let me let me see if we're we're following we're thinking what will it mean to lack wisdom is he just talking about something different what will it mean to lack wisdom What will it mean to lack wisdom? I want to hear your thoughts. Um, be a little bit more specific. Exactly. That is it. That is what it would mean to lack wisdom. You are not able to see those trials as something that should produce patience. And as a result, you are not able to count it joy. Perfect. That is it. To not have the right perspective. And so that's what he's saying. That if any of you lack wisdom or lack the ability to, 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 to count it all joy because you are just finding it hard to see how there is any way that this is producing anything good. What does he say? It says, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given him. It says, but let him ask in faith, not doubting. For he who doubts is like a wind um, a sea of wave of sea driven and tossed by the wind for let no other man supposed to receive anything from the world and then he goes on this is not journey through James we're going to that but the idea there is that and I want to make okay let me not rush this let me not rush let's take it one at a time so the idea that James is portraying is that dear believers when you go through various trials when your faith is tested it is counted a thing of joy why? because you know that by so doing you're, by by going through those trials, you are you are growing in endurance. You are growing in the ability to stay cheerful and constant in spite of all this world has at you and throws at you. And if you are able to 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 um to maintain to allow that perspective really settle in your mind, if you are able to allow yourself to go through this the way God wants you to, what you would realize at the end is that it would make you a mature person. As far as sufferings and endurance is concerned, you will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You will be mature. And then he goes and says, if any one of you finds it hard to do this, ask God. He would help you. He would give you the, the, the grace to go through it. And that's exact. in fact, this is exactly what happened to Paul. When we look at 2 Corinthians, this is exactly what happened to Paul. Three times he asked. What was his answer? Was it, oh, um, is, is making me stronger. No, three times his answer, his prayer was what? Take it away. But God says, no, my strength is made perfect. So that's exactly what God be. And then you see the wisdom that comes out of it. It says, therefore, I will glory in my weakness. For when I'm weak, he is strong. That is the wisdom that James is talking about. The ability to go through sufferings as a believer and see that by so doing, I am becoming more like Christ. By so doing, I am growing in my faith. Amen. Thumbs up if that's clear. We're still going to Romans on this same issue of suffering. Thumbs up if that's clear. Thumbs up if that's clear. <laughs> no thumbs up. Okay. Ah. Should I go over it again? I want to be sure. Is it clear? I'm not seeing any response. You can put it, anytime I say thumbs, you can just put it in the chat that it's still not clear. Let's, let's go. That's why it's Bible study. I'm not preaching. Okay. Let me all news. You have to listen to podcasts to that. <laughs> you have to listen to the podcast. But other people, is it clear? I want to be sure. Because I'm going to Romans. I will still put everything, but I'm, I'm I want to be sure before I go on to Romans. Alright. Good. Good, 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 good. 
just by caveats there is also sense in discerning which one you should be able to address by the grace of god so not that someone in your family is sick and you say count it all joy <laughs> when we go through various trials no you rebuke the devil amen and again all of that comes to discernment to to that's why we still pray we still pray for persecuted believers we don't just say god give them the wisdom to go through it knowing that no there's still a place in which just like paul you can actually you should if you if you are faced um if you if you're let's say you're sick right what does he call for the others let them prove you didn't say count it all joy because that's not even a trial of faith to start with people usually think sickness i don't know why they think that that's not a trial of faith. that's a sickness it's either natural or it's from the devil you address it as such but even when it comes to things like persecution so for instance um um you're being persecuted at work people don't like you because um you're not a believe you're, you're a believer so even your boss doesn't like you your co-workers don't like you and your 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 job is now under fire um you should pray about it you should pray about it and there are instances where the answer will be what stay strong in spite the 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 I, I said this in a prayer meeting once. I said, when you notice many of the scriptures that the apostles prayed, what you see is that the external circumstance didn't necessarily change. What changed in them was an internal fortitude to be able to be victorious in spite of the consistent external circumstance. And so for some, what might happen is that there's just a newfound strength to go to work every day and shine for Christ in spite of hatred. For some, there'll be favor. And, the person, and everybody likes you. <laughs> and you are promoted and you can't give testimony in church. Again, be discerned. So like Paul, he prayed, he had to pray three times before he was able to discern the will of God that this is not something that will go away. This is something that I have received strength to go through. Be discerning. Amen. Let's go to Romans 5 verse 3. Romans 5 verse 3. Romans 5 verse 3. We're not going to Hebrews 6 today. I, I will not risk it. <laughs> There's so much to say. <laughs> so alas, I only still did one chapter. It is well. <laughs> oh my God. Romans 5 verse 3. Let me start from verse Romans 5 1. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. There's a lot to say in these two verses alone. When we get to journey through Romans, we'll look at them. But verse 3 is my emphasis. It says, not only that, but we also glory in what? Tribulations. Again, why? Knowing that. So the same way James said it, count it all joy, but knowing that. Paul is saying the exact same thing. Why do we glory in tribulations? Because there's something we should bear in mind. Knowing that tribulation produces what? Perseverance. The exact same thing. <laughs> right? In fact, I love how the, the, it's, it's the exact same word in the Greek, in the King James. It's a, if the King James even says, knowing that tribulation worketh patient. In the Greek, it's the same word, hupomone. It worketh endurance, the very same thing. And again, what does he now say? It says, and what does perseverance work? Character. That's what James said. Because when patience, perseverance has his, his full work, you will be a person that lacks nothing. So it defines who you now are. That's your character. Right? And it says, and character worketh what? 
sorry, give me a second. I changed. I've been. I'm switching translation. I can't find my NKJV. <laughs> and character worketh hope. Do you see that? Do you see? It's the, the exact same thing. Romans 5, 3 to 4 is the same thing James is trying to say in verses 3 and 4. Wow, is it the same 3 and 4? I never even noticed that. And I think it's... Oh, sorry, 2 and 3, 3 and... Yeah, actually, it's... Yeah, 3 and 4. Okay, interesting. So, <laughs> it's the same verses. I never noticed that. But James 1, 2 to 4, Romans 3, and Romans 5, 3 to 4. The exact same thing as believers... Count it joy, glory in tribulation. Why? Because it is working patience, or what, or what you call perseverance, or what you call cheerful endurance. And it is by so doing, you are building yourself as a mature believer. You are able to strengthen the hope you have. You are able to stand strong that no matter what this life throws at you, your hope is not shaken. Your hope is not shaken. Your hope is not shaken. Amen. And we're going to see him talk a lot more about hope in chapter 6. I actually thought we we're going to do both verses, both, uh, both chapters, but we are not. So let's, we'll stop at verse 10. Because chapter, from verse 11, he starts to switch on us. But we'll stop at verse 10 tonight, sorry, today, and we're going to be done. I promise you guys. So we'll stop at Hebrews 5, verse 10. So it says, so he learned obedience by thinking to suffer and having been perfected. So even Jesus... Do you see that through suffering, he was perfected. He became the author, but not perfected in the way that he was lacking um, endurance and then he grew in endurance. No, I've explained what it means that he learned obedience and he was perfected. He says he became the what? The author of eternal salvation. He became the author of eternal salvation. The word there in the Greek is spelled A-I-T-I-O-S. It's the word Aitios, and it simply means he's the cause. Is the cause the same way you say, Oh, this is a book? Who is the author? Meaning, who wrote this book? So, it's the same way, Oh, this is salvation. Who made salvation possible? It is Christ. It is Christ. It is Christ. It says, He has become the cause of eternal salvation. And highlight that word in your Bible if you can. Underline it eternal salvation. How long is salvation? It is forever. What is the salvation that Jesus offers? It is the salvation that is. In case you don't know what eternal means, I don't think that's possible. It means never ending. The salvation Jesus offers never ends. We'll look at that. We'll get to that. But he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Of course, what does it mean to obey? We looked at what disobedience means last week. I think it was Ayo that answered the question. When it says the people in the wilderness were disobedient, what does that mean? If you were here last week, I'm, I'm asking this to join your memory. When he says they were disobedient, what does it mean? When he talked, when we talked about rest, you could scroll back and look at your Bible verses. I will give you time. When it says they were disobedient, what does that mean? Chapter three and chapter four. <laughs> exactly, unbelief, unbelief. Thank you very much. Hebrews four verse six. It says that since therefore it remains that some must enter it and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Hebrews 4, 6. But it says the same thing in Hebrews 3, 19. So we see that they could not enter because of 
world upon you. So disobedience means to be disobedient to the message that is preached to you, meaning you don't believe it. So the same way, what does it mean to say that he's the author of eternal salvation to all who obey? What is obedience? Of course, faith to those who believe. In fact, the word obey there in the Greek is actually the word hupakao, or I'm not going to trans- pronounce it, H-U-P-A-K-O-U-O, and it means to listen attentively and by implication to respond. So it means people that have heard the message of the gospel and have believed. Those are the people that have received what? Eternal salvation. Salvation that never ends. Hallelujah. And finally, it says he has been called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So now what hap- what you're going to see happen is that from verse 11, I'm going to stop here. I'm going to still recap all we've said. But what you're going to see moving on is that from 11, he says, we have many things to say about this Melchizedek and the priesthood and all of that. But you people are not listening. You people are dull. And I'm going to talk about that next because it's very key to understanding Hebrews 6 verse 4 to 6. A lot of times everybody says, ah, it is impossible for people to fall away. If, if they fall away, they can never be saved. And you just miss the context. You're just reading that. But you're not even trying to see where does that fit in the context. Don't worry. I promise you we will break down Hebrews 6 properly next week. I anticipated we would have done it today, but I'm, I'm going to start giving up on my anticipations and see wherever the Spirit of God takes us. But my point is, so from Hebrews 11, he now deviates to say that, oh, you guys, I have to say many things, but people don't listen. But then he now gets back to, in Hebrews 7, verse 1, he says, for this Melchizedek, and actually goes on to explain. And we're going to see why he does that. Stay tuned. If you've never understood Hebrews 6 properly, next week will blow your mind. It's a promise. <laughs> but anyways, um, what have we seen so far? Just by way of recap, from Hebrews 4, from verse 14, to Hebrews 5, verse 10. What the writer of Hebrews has done is to show that Jesus, by every criteria, qualifies to be high priest. What were the four criteria he gave? Number one, he's a man. He's chosen from among men to represent men. Number two, he offers sacrifices for sins. Number three, he can relate with the weaknesses of the people he's interceding for. And number four, right, he was called by God. And so that's why he went on to, of course, he has talked about Jesus taking on flesh. He has talked about the fact that Jesus offered, he has not talked about the sacrifices. He will go on to talk about that in 7, 8, and 9. Um, He has talked about the fact that, um, Jesus was called by God. He's still going to also explain that. So we're going to be on these four points for the next, until like chapter 10, chapter 10. We're going to be here till chapter 10. So make sure you write those four points in your Aaronic priesthood. We're going to, or somewhere around that table, we're going to get to it, each of them, and unpack it properly. How is Jesus better by each of these criteria? Man, sacrifice, um, compassion and um, chosen by God. We're going to look at each of them. But the point there is because he also suffered, he also identifies. And we also see that he has been called by God according to the order of Melchizedek. By deviation, I talked about the sacrificial system a bit. I talked about prayer and I talked about suffering. So that is a summary of all that we have done today. I hope you've learned something or at least been reminded of stuff maybe you already know um let me um thumbs up if everything we've said so far makes sense if you have any questions now is the time to ask it
Okay, okay, okay. Any questions? Any questions? Of course, like I promised you guys from Hebrews 1, there's no teaching we're going to do in this series that you would listen to at one, one go. I advise you either maybe during the week to always revisit or maybe at the end, you will now take everything together and start doing your own study. You read it, you listen, you read, you listen. And till, till it's clear to you, till it's clear to you, till it's clear to you, that this is not a product of one night of reading. <laughs> so um, I don't expect one teaching also to just, just listen to what you say. I don't have to read Hebrews again. I've listened to journey to the episodes. I understand Hebrews. No. So make sure you find time to listen to it again. Make sure you find time to um, read the book yourself. Maybe you can even read the book at one go, or maybe in maybe two to three days, and then you listen to each of those teachings again. It would really help solidify a lot of these concepts in your mind. So final final chance you know i take it that we have questions uh, if that's the case then let us pray heavenly father thank you so much for an amazing time in your word thank you because more and more we as we immerse ourselves into the truth that the bible contains we 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 are amazed because indeed you have given us all that pertains to life and godliness. Thank you that we have this record of scripture 2,000 years down the line. I pray that we are able to fully grasp, not just in our minds, but even in our hearts, that indeed we are those who worship in spirit and in truth. I pray that we are able to, in times of prayer, realize that much more than our desires is the place of submitting to your will. Thank you because you strengthen us in times of weakness. You don't ignore, you don't ridicule, you don't mock, but you rather you sympathize and you offer strength. I pray for anyone who may be going through such a time, whether it's as a trial of faith or just by the natural outworkings of the life that we find ourselves in, that they are strengthened. They are strengthened. They are strengthened. And I pray that as believers, we're able to have the right perspective towards the suffering that we will encounter in this world. We don't grow weak as a result. We don't start asking, where is God? Why me? But just like James says, I pray that everyone today is granted wisdom to see how, yes, that through suffering we are we are made to grow more and more like you. Our faith is strengthened. Our hope is strengthened. And I pray that there's also the wisdom to discern when it's not something we have to go through, but something we have to take authority and, and address. I pray, Lord, that all that we've discussed today makes perfect sense to all that would listen to this teaching and that we, we celebrate every day knowing that we have a better high priest than that of Aaron than that of the the, the, the the law. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen. 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 And amen. Thank you very much, guys. Um, yeah, we only did, we stopped at verse 10, but it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Thank you for joining. Um, yeah, I hope, I hope everything has been clear. I'm glad that 
we're able to do this. Um, so I'll see you all next week. Thank you very much.